0: Hey, hello, Cherie here, the host and producer of Women's Running Stories, and before we get going, I just want to acknowledge that women need pockets, especially us women who run, and that is exactly why Wazelle designed the pocket jogger tights and shorts. They have seven pockets total, including a rear zip pocket, two large side pockets, and mesh pockets At the waist so you can bring everything you need with you on every run. The fabric is soft and compressive enough but not too compressive and like all Wazelle products they just look nice. And these pieces last forever and I know firsthand because I have several pairs of the shorts and I have the tights in various lengths, and they really are just fantastic. I even wear them out in my day-to-day life when I'm not running. So check out the Pocket Jugger tights and shorts at Wazelle.com. That is O-I-S-E-L-L-E dot com. The apparel company created by women for women and rooted in running. Again. That's Wazelle.com.
1: Women's Runnings Runnings. My name is Ruby. I love the long distances, the five K and the ten K. And I aspire to be a professional runner in the future.
0: Yes, this episode features Ruby Wiles, an elite level runner and athlete who has worked diligently to overcome significant challenges. And her story is a testament to the ability to heal deeply embedded habits over time, as well as the power of being able to receive help. But before we hear more from Ruby, welcome to Women's Running Stories. I am Sheree Louise Turner. I am your host and producer. And in each episode, we hear one runner tell her story. I do want to mention that this podcast is part of the Evergreen Network of Podcasts. And there's another podcast in this network that I know you will enjoy listening to. It is The Planted Runner, hosted by coach Claire Bartholic. One thing I really enjoy about Claire's episodes is that she always gives useful takeaways in every single episode that I can apply to my own running. In particular, I really liked a recent episode about fatigue and strategies to manage it in your training. She also has these mental strength minutes every single episode, and she shares a quick tip on how to improve your mental strength, which... I know for me is always something I enjoy working on. So check it out. It's the planted runner with coach Claire Bartholik. She puts out episodes every Thursday and yeah, let me know what you think. Now on to Ruby Wiles story. Ruby is an elite level runner who just announced that she will also be pursuing triathlon in her journey Ruby has worked through significant challenges with disordered eating and body dysmorphia, and that is the focus of her story here. There is also another person featured in this episode who is key to Ruby's healing journey, and that is Lindsay Cortez. We have featured Lindsay on the podcast before, telling her running story. But in this episode, you're going to be hearing from her in her professional capacity as a dietitian. Lindsay is the owner-founder of Rise Up Nutrition, where she and her team specialize in helping women athletes like Ruby overcome disordered eating and develop a healthy relationship with food and nourishment. So yeah, you're going to be hearing from both Ruby sharing her story and also Lindsay providing some context and thinking behind the help that she and her team provided to Ruby to help her get on a path of healing and recovery. We did a similar episode like this with Jay Grunky, who is a running form expert and Olympic marathoner, Sonia Samuels. So it's a little bit of a back and forth between the athlete sharing her story and the support that she brought in to help improve her running and health. I really enjoy making these episodes where you get a little more insight into the behind the scenes of how athletes get support and help. I also want to mention up top here that if you are sensitive to discussions about disordered eating or body dysmorphia, both of those topics figure prominently in Ruby's story. She talks about them a lot, so please be mindful. All right, let's get to it. On to Ruby Wiles' story. Here is Ruby.
1: I actually started struggling with uh, food and my mental health when I was really very young. I was about 10. When I first uh, became conscious of my body, really in a like in, and critical in a negative way, and I grew up as a swimmer, but I was also in a larger body growing up. And I, when it, I'm from England, and in England we uh, transition to high school. I think we kind of have high school and middle school in the same the same school. So I transitioned to high school at age ten, which is normal in England and I was in an all-girls school and I just fell into the trap of comparing myself to other people's bodies and noticed that mine looked slightly different to a lot of my friends and a lot of the kids who had I guess more friends and I kind of thought that I would fit in better and like have more friends if my body was a bit smaller I I Noticed some things. I I would be, I was very, I had uh, some form of body dysmorphia. I was just really, I started noticing that I thought my body was overweight and I wanted to change it. So I started going on a diet. And at first, it started with, I'm not going to eat desserts and I'm going to cut out snacking, both of which were quite heavily praised by my family and the people around me because they were seen as healthy food choices. So from cutting out desserts and snacks, my diet just got more and more restrictive over a pretty short period of time, over about about six months to where I would really just, I wouldn't eat breakfast, I'd maybe have an apple or something, I'd, I wouldn't eat much at lunch, and then I would try to eat as little as possible at dinner. I say try to because obviously I was still living at home with my family, so and eating disorder is very secretive. So I would try and pretend I didn't have a problem by eating, and, but not eating what my body needed. So over a very short period of time, I lost a lot of weight and my body really, um, I was exercising a lot, only not in an unhealthy way at first, more in a, I was just an active kid. And uh, yeah, I lost a lot of weight and I was about 11 now. and my body started failing, Uh, my heart rate really slowed, I would faint when I stood up, I was really, really sick, physically, as well as mentally, and I didn't understand that my body needed fuel, and I was admitted to a hospital because my heart was failing, and my heart was giving out, I still was in complete denial that anything was wrong, and whilst I was hospitalized for my physical symptoms, the doctors realized that it was mental, that mentally something was going on. And I was diagnosed with anorexia nervosa, as well as depression at the time, and when I was 11, and then I was admitted to an eating disorder hospital, a quite a high security mental health unit in London, and I was Told I'd be there for six to eight weeks until I recovered. But as I'm sure lots of people know, mental health conditions don't just go away. And because of my age and I think lack of insight and understanding about mental health, I was really resistant to treatment. I was really in the depths of a very severe eating disorder. And I actually remained in the hospital for two years. I was, yeah, I, I didn't leave the hospital. Really for, for two years until I was about thirteen, and then transitioning after that, I, I I wasn't mentally. I wasn't recovered when I was discharged. Physically, um, I gained the weight. Like I, my body was back to a healthy weight as classified by BMI, which has its problems. By medical standards, I was like safe to leave. I was alive. My heart was functioning. My my body took a long time to stabilize after being so, so sick and so, like, I was dying when I was admitted. So, um, I, I, my body was weight restored. I was eating the meals that the dietitians told me to eat. And so I was discharged. But mentally, I was far from healed. And I spent the next couple of years really just not really thriving. But I, I was more than surviving. Like, I wasn't like, I maintained the weight that the doctors wanted me at and I just followed the same meal plan every single day, every single week. I hadn't learned how to eat. I hadn't learned how to listen to my body. I hadn't learned how to make good food choices. I learned how to follow a plan to stay out of hospital because my time in hospital was really, um, it was the worst time of my life. And I just did every, anything possible to stay out of hospital life. I played the doctors at their game, which was knowing that I needed my weight to be above a certain threshold to stay out of hospital, and I did that. I succeeded at their game, but mentally, I had I had no food freedom. I was a slave to the calorie trackers, weighing my food, weighing myself, measuring every ounce, everything that I ate. And this is when I really developed some kind of unhealthy obsessions around exercise because I thought, oh. If I, I can eat more if I exercise because then I can burn it off. So I would exercise quite a lot and, but also because I was exercising so much, it looked like I was eating lots too. So I was kind of able to mask that anything was wrong. And for people that aren't, unless I was telling people about what was going on in my head, which I certainly wasn't at the time, outwardly I looked healthy, I looked fine. So this kind of continued, and I didn't realize that there was a problem. I didn't realize that I was really struggling because I no longer – I was no longer trying to lose weight or, like, change my body. I just didn't – I just had developed a very rigid pattern of eating and exercising uh, after coming out of hospital. And about this time, I started running. Purely at first – it well, actually, my, my running – has never really been tied to my eating, which I'm really grateful for. I started running really as an outlet for my mental health. I found it would provide a really good relief from my depression and my anxiety. Um, And I'm a solo runner, I love running by myself. And I would run to escape some of the difficulties that were going on in my home life. I've had some difficult relationship, uh, like relationship with my family and my home life has been quite challenging. And honestly, I just needed to get out of the house. I needed to get out of my home and just I just needed something to do. And I, I didn't like we didn't have the money for me to do any organized sports or after school clubs or camps or stuff like that. So the only way I could really escape my home, which kind of felt like a prison to me at some times, was just to go outside and you might be able to tell that like I am this overachiever and like walking just wouldn't cut it so if I why not run like I was like walking's boring I can do more I can see more if I run so I started running around where I live and I lived out in the countryside and so there were some beautiful places to explore and I just really loved finding new routes and exploring new paths and like that was a great time when my mind would just release like Uncapping a valve on a, um, like un- uncapping a bottle of soda when all the bubbles come out. Like that was like what running was for me. And so I loved running long for like half an hour at first, then like an hour. And then I, yeah, I really just loved running longer distances. And at school, I was never fast. I was always the slowest. So I never really saw myself as a runner at all. So once I found my love of distance running, I set out on a mission to like prove a point in a way to, to my family, to my teachers who saw me as this slow kid. I was like, to hell with that. Like, I'm going to be a good runner. So it was kind of my stubbornness that drove me to to keep running. And then I found that our community had a local park run, which is like a timed a free weekly 5k run around a um, a park where I live all on grass and just love going each week and chipping time away. My first 5k was probably like about 35 minutes and then I remember the elation I felt when I first broke 30 minutes and then 25 minutes and then 20 minutes and then yeah I just I loved the progression of running and I really I fell in love with the sport and I kept improving. And I, I would go every week and then I'd see familiar faces and it became, I just really forced, then fell in love with the community of runners because the same, this was before park run was that big. So whilst this park run now has about a thousand people that come each week or more at the time, there was only about 50 to a hundred of us. And it was a close knit circle of people that just welcomed me. They didn't, they didn't know anything about me yet. They were really friendly to me and it was, it was just wonderful. And Eventually, as I got faster with each week with park run, I started regularly finishing as the first woman, I got encouraged to go down to my local athletics club, which is track and field. And like I said, in when we did like track and field the school, I was always slow. All we did was distances up to the 800. And I would always be like, last near the back, not great. But in the winter, uh, my first year of high school, we started doing cross country. And I that was kind of the running that I found through parkrun. And then when I, so so I followed the advice because I, I, I started like, yeah, like I said, kind of finishing first. It's not like in parkrun, they don't call it winning. You're the first finisher. So I was the first finisher a lot of this parkrun. run. eventually they encouraged me, the other kind of my mentors of the running community that I'd met at parkrun encouraged me to join my local athletics club. And I did. And the beautiful thing about athletics clubs in England is you're not really divided up by age. You're divided up more by like ability and also the distances you want to race. So I fell in with a group of kind of middle-aged men and women and then also some people my age too that were more interested in like the 5K and the 10K and I didn't have to race the 800 or the 400. So I just really got involved in a group who had trained for the distances that I really enjoyed. So I would go to my local athletes club on a Tuesday and a Thursday and then I'd do park on a Saturday and I'd also sometimes go to the club on a Sunday too and yeah that's how I really felt got into training and competing because then I started competing for my club in the 5k and the 10k we have like road racing as well as track racing so I actually really did a lot more road racing in the UK I, I did 5ks and 10ks and really really enjoyed that and I ran some really good times um so I ran 1740 in the 5k and uh 3550 in the 10k when I was ju- I, this was like my senior year of high school and initially I was on track to go to medical school in the UK I had the grades I'd worked all my all my schooling life to excel academically um because believe it or not if you are a very high overachiever in a achieve the top grades, you can go to medical school as an undergrad in the UK. And I had the privilege of being accepted into all four medical schools I applied to at age 17. And I was on track to go to go to medical school. Then over the summer, after graduating high school, my running results improved. I went on to come second at the national championships in the 5K on the track. And that was when I got recruited after that. When a lot of American coaches come to watch the national championships and after I finished second, some people came up and spoke to me and put the idea in my head that, oh, maybe this is a possibility for me. And I was lucky enough to be offered a scholarship to run in America. And this was really something that I never thought I was good enough for, just because the girls that I'd seen getting scholarships were all winning big international competitions and I'd never represented my country or anything. So I... Was lucky enough to be offered a scholarship and I, I took it and I came to America in January of 2020, and yeah, I just I was just living out the student athlete life and and I was running and I was healthy and then COVID hit and that really disrupted everyone obviously and isolated me for quite a long time. At the same point, I also transferred schools. And I was also isolated a lot and just my eating became a lot more rigid and challenging. I didn't have the money to buy as much food as my body probably needed and buy the right food. And I was kind of limited there. And then also my mental health spiraled a little bit with COVID, isolation, and just, just this American dream I had for myself had just disappeared with COVID and yeah. And I just I didn't I didn't have anything going on during the day, so I'd spend my days exercising religiously just to fill time. Running I like my goal was performance in running and I would just I just kinda of took that to the extreme in terms of running as many miles as I could. My body was able to handle a lot of training and I was healthy. I've I've only really had one running injury, but my mind was really not in a good place. And then when I returned to campus this in the semester, my coaches and teammates just noticed that I didn't exactly have the most healthy relationship around food or exercise on my body. I had an obsession with I have to get this many miles in. And at this point, I was still counting all my calories, weighing my food, weighing myself, just being really, like, dogged about calories in, calories out, and obsessing. And, and yeah, I i also noticed this in myself and i just realized that i whilst my body may have looked physically like healthy enough my mind was far from it and i began to kind of crave feeling differently like i i I got to the point where i was fed up of like being a slave to the calorie counter or being a slave to x number of miles a week and i just I thought there could be a different way of doing things.
2: Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and, in turn, make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show.
1: I've never really known a normal relationship with food. For as far back as I could remember, I'd struggled with disordered eating or in, and very severe eating disorders. So I'd never really had this normal relationship with food. So it's not as if I began restricting and then I remembered what it was like before. I couldn't remember any other way of eating or thinking about my body. So I, I think that was why it became entrenched, this rigidity to my diet, because I was never... I never learned how to listen to my body, how to eat naturally, like how how to eat food, really, because like my eating disorder sort of started the minute I had some control over my food up to the age of about, I don't know, eight or nine. You kind of your parents are in control of what you eat, you eat what's in front of you. It was really when I was 10, the minute I started having some kind of choice over my food that my troubles began. And so I never really had this. I never had a normal relationship with food. So I I didn't really, yeah, for a long time, I didn't know what that looked like. And then I, as I became more entrenched in running, I would listen to podcasts and I heard Lindsay Cortez, who is a-
2: a Hi, my name is Lindsay Elizabeth Cortez. I'm a sports dietitian, registered dietitian. Owner of Rise Up Nutrition, I I specialize in helping female athletes overcome disordered eating and use food as fuel to perform at their highest level.
1: Um, I I heard her speak on another podcast, and I remember telling her story about how she had this very similar kind of mindset to where my mind was at the time, knowing that I had to burn X amount of calories. I I could only eat this much. Like, I, I heard myself and my thought patterns in her story. And then I heard that she found another way. Like, she got through it. Like, she discovered that that didn't have to be her life. There, there was another option. And then just hearing her story and reading books and hearing other podcasts, because unfortunately, eating disorders is quite common in running. But hearing other people bravely share their stories made me feel like, oh, perhaps not everyone thinks about food the way I'm thinking about food. And perhaps there is another way to do this. And that really opened my mind up to the possibility that there was another another choice. And also being on a collegiate team was really helpful for me in that way. I know it can be unhelpful for other people, but for me it was helpful because I was able to see other athletes that were performing at my level or above that had much better relationships with food than I did. And it made me think, oh, Like, if the people closest to me and that are performing better than me have different mindsets around food, like, maybe the way I'm thinking isn't the best for my health or my performance. So I reached out to Lindsay via Instagram and started talking with her over social media and messaged and said that I related to her story. And I started sharing a few details of my story. And then she started sharing about the kind of work she does work with other athletes at the time she was working with mary kane and some other very top elite runners that i looked up to and i thought wow this this person knows her stuff like if if these elite runners trust trust Lindsay, i i mean who am i to judge i better i could trust her too i this was the first time i'd really found another dietitian who respected my elite running goals alongside wanting to improve my mental health A lot of the time when I'd worked with dietitians in the past, they hadn't understood that the uh, importance of performance and that exercise for me wasn't, whilst it was to a certain extent a way to burn calories, it was also more than that. Like if exercise didn't burn calories, I would still do it. So that was kind of like, I didn't want to stop running um, in order to heal my relationship with food. And Lindsay respected that.
2: Yeah. And this is a tricky one. Because some people will blatantly disagree with me. Some professionals will fight me on it. And then also, like, some people might come to me thinking, oh, she's going to let me keep exercising, so that's the reason I'll keep going to her, even if that's not actually the right thing. So I think this is a really nuanced conversation, and that's exactly the conversation I had with Ruby before agreeing to work with her. Like, we talked through everything about her situation, and... I think if I'm being honest, did I agree that Ruby should continue running? No, I didn't. However, it's just the reality. She wasn't going to stop running. She wasn't going to check into a treatment center. She had been down that road before. She had been given that advice before. And that wasn't going to work at that time. So... I personally felt I had two options. I can, one, deny working with her, and then and then what? Um, or I can take her on and I can work with her with where she's at right now. And that was really, when it comes to Ruby in particular, that was really the situation. I'm going to help her with where she's at right now. And I think my approach to all my clients is where are they at right now? how can I help them right now? Um, There are clients that I have refused to take on because of where they're at medically or their willingness to change and things like that. I think Ruby in particular, when she came to me, she wasn't willing to change in the regards of athletics. She had literally just started with a brand new team and worked very hard to get there, but she was willing to give 100% in the fueling. So I said, okay, well, you've got your coach, you know, if coach wants to pull you from sport, that's one thing, but I'm going to be your nutrition coach. And I'm going to focus on that. And I met her where she was at and changed what she was willing to, and then had delicate in, you know, intimate conversations about the areas she wasn't willing to change. And that has morphed and, and, you know, improved over time. Right. But every client, I have in-depth conversations with them before agreeing to work with them. That's why I don't have a link on my website that you can just pay for a session and become a client because frankly, it's, it, it's not up to you if you want to become a client, it's up to me as well. We're working together as a team and I shouldn't say just me, I have other dietitians on my team. Um, so it's as the owner of this practice and perhaps the lead dietitian, I wanna make sure that you're a fit um, and that we can work together. You do, as a client, have to be willing to change. And I also want to know where your boundaries are at and what are your goals. And, and we want to create those together and everybody work together as a team. Um, and and sometimes it just, you know, it it isn't the right fit. And going back to this exercise piece specifically, there's again, there's a lot that goes into it. I'm working with athletes. So it really like – this is a huge, I think, stigma in the realm of eating disorders and athletics is I think traditional eating disorder therapy would say stop all athletics. Well, that's that's why athletes aren't getting treatment because they're not willing to stop athletics. and And maybe they do need to. Maybe it would be helpful. But if we just tell them not to do it, then they're never going to seek treatment. And so I think that's what I'm trying to offer and provide to clients. It's not that I'm trying to find a cop out of, oh, keep doing something that's unhealthy for you. No, I'm I'm not trying to do that. But what I'm trying to do is, is recognize that athletics is part of your life. Athletics is bringing you positive benefits. How can we work with the things you know, with the positive benefits and the positive things that athletics is bringing to you and still heal from the disordered eating. And if on that journey, athletics stays exactly the same or progresses and, and you reach a higher level, wonderful. If somewhere on that journey, we do work together as a team and recognize, oh, we need to scale back or we need to take a pause, like then, then wonderful. I want to work with this client on that as best I can.
1: so I was kind of at rock bottom, I was was restricting my eating, and I just, I felt so unhappy, and so alone, and yeah, I was just in a really low place mentally, so I decided that at worst, Lindsay's program doesn't help me, which doesn't, doesn't make me any worse off, And and anything she could help me with just improves, like, I hate my body, I don't like food, I eat the same thing every day, I'm counting calories, it's taking up so much of my time, like, I don't have anything to lose from this. So I kind of went all in with Lindsay. I um, joined the Fast Track program, which is her female athlete system of transformation program, which is a 12-week commitment that she has girls enrolled in. It's her kind of signature program. I just started by giving all control over to Lindsay and saying, look, I I want a fresh start. I want a clean slate. I just, I'm just going to shut up and listen. And I think it was only because i was at rock bottom mentally that i was able to fully give over control to Lindsay. but at first she she would write me meal plans and tell me what to buy at the grocery store and what to eat because i just felt so helpless i felt like if i had any control i would always choose the lighter option or the lower calorie option so at that point i just had to to listen to what Lindsay said and then as well as like helping me with my diet and my meal plan she i worked with her and at the other sports dietitian, jenna we would uh, lindsey was great we i think she recognized like about how bad things have got for me in terms of my mind my mental state um so we would work together twice a week and i'd also see jenna once a week so i was having like three like zoom calls a week and then the way her program works is you really like are able to talk to Lindsay and Jenna like as much as possible, so I would talk to Lindsay and Jenna like almost every day for a while. They were just like checking on me, and I'd and send them pictures of my food I was eating so they could be sure that I was eating that. I'd be sure that like I'd made what I like, I'd made my meals according to how they how they said. And, and it really was quite an intensive intensive program at first because it was what I needed. And that's the great thing about Lindsay and the fast track program if I'm just going to go away from my story for a bit is she really tailors a program to meet your needs so for me I really needed some kind of intensive outpatient kind of support so she really met me where I was and and was there for me at first because it was really emotional like it was really hard mentally I had a lot of doubts over the amount of food Lindsay was telling me to eat she was asking me to eat a lot of foods I'd never eaten before or never even tried or or just restricted
2: because by this point I had w- been eating the same thing most days. Ultimately, you know, how do we get to trusting in your body and trusting yourself to make food decisions again? We have to take action. Trusting in your body takes action. If you are scared to make changes, then you'll never trust in your body. And you have to try something different. You have to try a different meal. You have to challenge yourself with a food. You have to challenge yourself with eating more. You have to let go of control. And, and maybe that scares you because you're like, I don't know that I can trust it, but that's the only way you'll ever find out. And you either win or you learn, because even if you take that leap of faith and you try a different meal and it goes horribly, like, you know, your stomach's a mess, you hated it, tasted bad. Well, it's not that, oh my gosh, I can't trust this. It's what can we learn from that? Okay, I learned that this food doesn't settle well for me right now, or I don't want to eat that before a run, but maybe I would eat that after a run. That's how you build trust in your in your body is by taking action. And so that's a huge part of like when we're working with clients is we're coaching you to take action and we're going to be there for you no matter what the outcome is, to help you navigate that and figure out, okay, continue taking action or adjust adjust the course a little bit. And we're gonna coach you through that. So
1: yeah, she really broadened my palate and like I said, with the Zoom calls, we did a lot of work on my mindset. And I would just be I was really I'm really proud of myself with how honestly I shared the the really dark thoughts I had in my head about my body image and about the food and some of the guilt and shame I felt around eating.
2: For many people, there is a strong link between body dysmorphia and disordered eating. So whether somebody, you know, isn't happy or satisfied with their body, achieves to change how their body looks, or feels very uncomfortable in their skin, they might be led down the path to believe that controlling, changing, manipulating their diet and nutrition might therefore change how their body looks and therefore change how they feel in it and perhaps change their relationship with their body. Um, So I think that's like a a strong link between body image and body dysmorphia and what might be the root cause or contributing factor to developing an eating disorder. Um, The sad truth and reality of the situation though is – you know, you go down that path thinking, Oh, if I just control my food, change my food, then I'll have the body I want. But it, it never, it never does satisfy the disorder and the dysmorphia. Um, even if your body does change, there's still always something that's saying, well, it's not good enough, or it hasn't changed enough, or I'm still not comfortable with it. And so there's, there's, you know, really it's not the solution. I suppose is what I want to say. Like have, you know, the development of an eating disorder can happen because of the root cause of body dysmorphia. And yet it only contributes to the dysmorphia and worsens it. So um, we do want to heal the eating disorder and we also want to heal the root problem if it is body dysmorphia.
1: And Lindsay, she made me feel like I wasn't alone. The biggest thing from working with Lindsay is for once I felt like she didn't look at me like I had two heads when I shared like um when I shared that I felt fat or that I don't like like I don't like how I look or that my body's telling me to do this or that I count calories like none of that she didn't look at me weird she looked at me like she understood and that was that was the biggest thing actually finding someone who who didn't judge me because I was quite ashamed of a lot of my behaviors and my tendencies and then i slowly she helped me get control back in in a healthy way of being able to make good food choices and understand what my body needed and the importance of like a diverse a diverse um diet and not
2: calorie counting so in one sense eating an appropriate amount of calories is important in nutrition, right? I talk a lot about the harms of like under fueling and when you're in a low energy deficient state and develop, you know, relative energy deficiency in sport and hormone imbalances. However, most people in society have a skewed perception of what is enough or what is correct. And we also have these, you know, websites and apps and calculations where you can just go online, just put in your height and weight, and it'll spit out you know the amount of calories you need to eat and so many of us are misled by that uh, like gosh like I just I just want to say like if it was that simple then why why would nutrition be so confusing <laughs> right? um it's not as simple as a calculation based on your height and weight but we're led to believe that and so so many people begin this relationship with calorie counting that, First and foremost, is on a false foundation of what your body even needs. The second reason is it takes them away from intuitively listening to what their body is asking for or might need. It takes you further and further away from really being in tune with your body's daily needs. You know, you might be think, feeling, I'm really hungry, but your calorie counter says you've already eaten enough. And so you don't listen to your body. And I think there's lots of harms. With that, there absolutely are a lot of harms with that, and and vice versa, right? I don't want to always say this is about underfueling; it's it can be the opposite way as well. And so, when I work with a client, what we ask them to do is uh, to stop doing that because we want them to get out of the mindset of you know that your body is this perfect equation that it fits into this exact number of calories a day but the second reason is we do want them to start being more in tune with their bodies and the more they let go of calorie counting the more in tune with their bodies they can they can be and that's a huge learning aspect for them but at the same time they have us as dietitians to monitor like so many people especially in the realm of eating disorders feel like well I need to track to make sure I'm eating enough well I would ask you to hand that over hand that over to myself and my team of dietitians. We'll monitor that for you. We'll let you know if, hey, you really hardly ate yesterday, you know, or something like that, and we'll coach you through that. So we'll be your accountability measure there, but we want you to take that responsibility off so that you can then start to listen to your body and make these decisions uh, for yourself without being confused by an app telling you something that might not even be true. And again, like an, an app that's just asking you your height, your weight, your maybe goal weight or something like that, that's another point for error. You might plug in your goal weight that's not a healthy goal weight for you, right? Uh, but you're you're dictating that and that's like, maybe we don't even have a good understanding of, of body weight and our expectation of ourselves. But then it's ultimately like, the app doesn't know that you're healing from an injury. The app doesn't know that you've had 10 years of an eating disorder, disrupt your metabolism. The app doesn't know that you're you know, compensating or purging every day. The app doesn't know your family history. The app doesn't know. The app might say how much did you exercise today, but the app doesn't know that you do this every single day you know and have been for the past 10 years or intend to for the next 10 years there's a big difference metabolically from like a new somebody who just started working out and then somebody who's been been doing it and is trained at an elite level the body just functions differently and the app just doesn't know that and so there's there's so much there's so many gaps <laughs> so many gaps in the app <laughs>
1: So since working with Lindsay, I haven't counted any calories or weighed my food or anything since, and it's been really, like I have so much more time in my day, I, my mind's so much freer. I still, I definitely do still struggle with uh, eating out, and I, I fall back into habits of of eating the same kind of foods if I don't challenge myself. So I make I make little challenges with myself. So every time I go to the grocery store, I try and pick out a new grain or a new vegetable, or a new protein source, something just to add variety to my diet. So I just keep myself in check in that way. But um, yeah, Lindsay totally transformed my mindset around food, without a doubt. The biggest thing I learned was kind of trust in my body in terms of like, oh, if I if I no longer exercised to the point of exhaustion, and if I no longer calorie counted, my body didn't automatically change. I would fears that if I didn't, control what I burn and controlled what I ate through tracking. Like I'd wake up one morning and gain tons of weight. So really I had, I just had a huge fear of like gaining weight and my body changing and that didn't happen. So what Lindsay's program really did is that opened my mind to the fact that our bodies are incredible. And um, I started eating a lot more and a lot more different foods, like I started eating a lot more quote-unquote unhealthy foods with Lindsay and my body didn't change it I didn't wake up one morning and find myself gaining weight and that was really an aha moment that oh wait yeah I can trust my body and and I did that definitely didn't happen overnight but but I didn't I didn't gain all the weight that my I was scared I would gain and and really I just had so much more time in my day when I was no longer obsessing about calories and tracking and counting. Like, that stressed me out. That would take me hours. Like, I'd be weighing all my food and that would just take so long. And all of a sudden I had more time in my life. And so I didn't see any reason to go back to how I was eating before. Whilst I still... Uh, whilst like my relationship with food's changed I do still struggle with my body image not to the extent that I did then but but yeah I, I I think we all relate to having days where we just or moments of the day where we look in the mirror and we don't like parts about ourselves and and I'm not going to sugarcoat it and say that's gone away it's it's not because I definitely still struggle a lot with my body image and and more than I I hope I do in a few years but I struggle less than I did in the past and so the progress is the
2: thing I'm holding on to getting to the root problem is key here but as a disclaimer I'm I'm not a psychologist or a licensed therapist to work through body dysmorphia completely it is absolutely part of what I do but I am trained as a sports dietitian so for me and my my work uh, with Ruby and clients like Ruby, is we are going to first and foremost work with the nutrition piece and her relationship with food and healing the the eating disorder or disordered eating habits that might exist and fixing that. What's really interesting is that in this process, if we really continue to focus on the fueling, sometimes that confidence in their body or feeling better or feeling more confident and comfortable in their body happens. So that can kind of initiate, you know, feeling better with their relationship with their body and their body dysmorphia. And then we'll dive into kind of as the next step, the I suppose second step would be, okay, let's actually work on addressing our relationship with our body as well um, in trying to heal that, whether it be overcoming the negative thoughts about our body or focusing on the positive or even if it does mean, frankly, like a referral out to um, somebody who is more trained in that specialty. But again, a client coming to me is we are going to focus on the fueling first and foremost, and it actually does open the door for having more confidence in your body and changing that relationship with your body. And then we'll dive into that further and deeper as needed.
1: I I'm at a point now where I can look in the mirror and be like, oh, I, I like that about me or, oh, my hair looks great or, oh, yeah, like I I look all right in my uniform today. Whereas in the past, I'd definitely be on the starting line of races and compare myself to those around me and think, oh, I'm not as skinny as that person or, like, I don't have as much muscle so I can't run that well. Whereas now I kind of just – accept my body so I don't, I don't think I have body love yet but I definitely have acceptance of like I am the way I am and and that's great or like it, it is how it is and I'm not trying to change my body anymore which I certainly did in the past I don't I don't love my body but I don't hate it like I accept it now now I'm kind of neutral which is kind of me thinking that I'm on my journey I was on the journey of hating it now I'm kind of neutral about it and hopefully I'll begin to like it a bit more. <laughs> I'm a lot further along, but I, I do still think I'm on a journey. And I feel like I feel like I, I will be probably on this journey for the rest of my life because of how how much of how young I was when I first started struggling. It's kind of all I've ever really known is an unhealthy relationship with food. So each year that I get further along with like my own recovery and my own like mental health recovery, really, not just eating, but mental health. It's a better year of life. So this last year, my relationship with food has been the best it's ever been in my life. And I'm hoping that 2023 is even better than last year. And so each year I'm sending new PRs for how how well I'm nourishing my body. And so, yeah.
0: Yeah, that brings us to the end of Ruby's story i want to thank ruby so much for sharing her story these topics are really difficult to talk about and when i talked to ruby one of the things that we discussed is the fact that she wanted to share her story because she wanted to help other people who are in a similar circumstance not feel alone obviously her hearing lindsay talk about her story on another podcast helped Ruby see that there could be a different path for her. And I will say, you can go back and listen to Lindsay's story. She and Ruby have very different stories, but there was enough in common that Ruby felt comfortable talking to Lindsay. And the only way we can make these connections is if we share our experiences. So thank you so much, Ruby, for coming on the podcast, sharing your story and being so open and honest about the challenges that you have faced. And of course, I wish continued healing for Ruby and great success in her future endeavors. I will provide links in the show notes to how you can keep up with Ruby. And like I mentioned up top, one of the announcements that she just made is that she is going to be pursuing triathlon. So she's taking her running talents into a multi-sport event. And I'm really excited to see what she does. I also want to thank Lindsay Cortez for being on the podcast one more time. Her episode is fantastic, so I will link to that, but I'm really thankful for her coming on and sharing her expertise. So yeah, once again, thank you to Ruby Wiles and Lindsay Cortez. And thank you to you for listening. I always appreciate you being here. I love making these episodes, but I know that the power of them rests in you hearing them. And also in you sharing them, I would really appreciate if you shared this episode or any other episode or the whole podcast with a friend or anybody who you know would enjoy these stories. In addition to finding ways to keep up with Ruby, as well as ways to keep up with Lindsay Cortez and Rise Up Nutrition, look to the show notes to find ways to keep up with women's running stories and also The Planted Runner. And no, I do not make these episodes by myself. Cormac O'Regan provides all of the original music that you hear, and he makes that music here in Cork, Ireland. And that is going to do it for me. I am Sheree Louise Turner. I am the host and producer of Women's Running Stories, and I am also coming to you from Cork, Ireland in my home closet studio. And until next week, I do wish you healthy, joyful strides forward.
2: Women's Running Stories.
0: My name is Cindy Burnett, and each week I interview at least two traditionally published authors on my podcast, Thoughts from a Page. We talk spoiler-free about their books, so you can listen whether you have read the book or not. And then we delve into things that you most likely won't hear about anywhere else. The importance of the cover design, why they included various aspects of the story, personal details about both the books and the author's lives, and so much more. You can find the podcast on every major platform and learn more about it on my website, thoughtsfromapage.com. Thanks so much for checking it out.